0: Hello, I'm uh, Nicholas Agurias and I'm professor of international law at the University of Sheffield. Uh, In this lecture I'm going to talk about the legal status of cyberspace. What is cyberspace? What is its legal status? Can the principle of sovereignty apply to cyberspace and how? Can cyberspace become sovereign? Are big tech companies sovereign? Is cyberspace a global commons? Subspace has been characterized as a, le- a non-legal domain. John Barlow, in his 1996 Declaration of the Independence of Subspace, said that legal concepts do not apply to subspace. The view that subspace is a non-legal space is based on the fact that subspace is different from spaces where law applies. Subspace, for example, has no territory, is borderless, and is everywhere. For this reason, the argument goes that it is impossible to be subject to legal regulation because law applies mainly to people and objects. The view that cyberspace is a non-legal space also tries to preserve the original image of cyberspace as an open and participatory space uh, which legal regulation with its inclusions and exclusions may affect. was however the mainstream view in the 1990s. Nowadays, the view that cyberspace is subject to law and indeed to international law is widely shared. The 2013 report of the United Nations Group of Governmental Experts on Developments in the Field of Information and Telecommunications in the Context of International Security (GGE) stated that international law, and in particular the United Nations Charter, as well as state sovereignty and the international norms and principles that flow from sovereignty apply to cyberspace. The 2015 GGE report reaffirmed this view and mentioned specific international law norms and principles that apply to cyberspace. They include the principles of sovereign equality, the settlement of international disputes by peaceful means, refraining from the threat or use of force respect for human rights and fundamental freedoms, and non-intervention in the internal affairs of other states. The report also mentions a number of norms, rules, and principles of responsible behavior, among which are the norms that states should not allow their territory to be used to commit internationally wrongful acts by using ICTs, to cooperate and exchange information with each other, to provide assistance, and report vulnerabilities. The 2021 GG report confirmed the application of the principles included in the 2015 report. The report also mentions the application of humanitarian law and expands on the norms, rules, and principles of responsible behavior. It also states that understanding how specific international law rules and principles apply to cyberspace is important and that this is subject to further discussions. In addition to the GGE, the United Nations General Assembly established an open-ended working group on information and telecommunications (ICT) in the context of international security. In contrast to the GGE, membership was open to all UN members. In 2021, it produced a consensus report. The report affirmed the application of international law rules and principles to cyberspace and recommended that states continue to study how specific international law rules and principles apply to cyber operations or inform the Secretary-General of their national positions. Many states have also confirmed the application of international law to cyberspace. Certain statements have been quite general. China, for example, declared that the UN Charter and the principles enshrined in it, including sovereign equality, refraining from the use or threat of force, settlement of international disputes by peaceful means and non-intervention in the internal affairs of other states, apply to cyberspace. It also went on to say that the application of these principles is the cornerstone of the peace, security and stability in cyberspace. Other states have been more explicit and detailed in explaining which international law rules and principles apply to cyberspace. It is impossible, of course, to name all states and explain their positions. But as an example, Germany's statement speaks of obligations of states under the UN Charter, obligations of states under international humanitarian law, and states' response options under international law. Finland's statement includes discussion of the principle of sovereignty, illegal intervention, transboundary harm, state responsibility, use of force, armed attack, international humanitarian law, human rights law. Brazil's statement focuses on the principle of sovereignty, non-intervention, state responsibility, use of force, international humanitarian law. Iran's statement, focuses on sovereignty, intervention, use of force and armed attack. If international law applies to cyberspace, the immediate question is what is the legal status of cyberspace? In order to answer this question, I will first consider the nature of cyberspace. This is important not only for understanding the legal nature of cyberspace, but also in order to understand why international law applies to cyberspace and how. There are different definitions of cyberspace depending on the discipline, for example, information technology, political science, sociology, and so on. According to the US National Institute for Standards and Technology, cyberspace is, I quote, a global domain within the information environment consisting of the interdependent network of information systems infrastructures, including the internet, telecommunications networks, computer systems, and embedded processors and controllers. This is a technical definition, which focuses on the physical and international aspects of cyberspace, but does not mention the human dimension of cyberspace. According to the US Department of Defense, cyberspace can be described in terms of three interrelated layers physical network logical network and cyber persona in my opinion this is the most inclusive definition of cyberspace because it identifies the three layers that make up cyberspace first there is the physical layer which consists of the IT devices and infrastructure such as computers cables, and so on. The logical layer, which consists of the software, logic, data, packets, and electronics. And the social layer, which refers to real people, as well as to their digital representation. These layers are not separate, but intertwined. Even if the core of cyberspace is virtual, and cyber interactions are conducted through logistics rather than through physical acts, They are dependent on the physical and social layer of cyberspace. Having explained the nature of cyberspace, I will now examine the application of the principle of sovereignty to cyberspace. This is because sovereignty, as a foundational principle of international law, can help to define the legal status of cyberspace, either as a domain subject to sovereignty or as a sovereign domain itself. First, I will explain the role and place of sovereignty in international law. Sovereignty is originally a political principle and means supreme and plenary authority and power within a political community. The holder of sovereignty can be a person or an institution. In international law, the holder of sovereignty is the state as an institution. Sovereignty in international law implies the aggregation of rights and duties a state enjoys as a state internally and externally. A sovereign state has supreme power and authority internally at the exclusion of other states, as well as full power and authority externally. It can assert its power externally, but such power may encroach on the sovereignty of other states. International law thus regulates the relations between states. International law is dependent on sovereignty for its creation, implementation and enforcement. Sovereignty in international law has a strong territorial dimension and this is the remnant of the Peace of Westphalia which consecrated the principle of sovereignty by recognizing as sovereign state's distinct pieces of territory over which exclusive and plenary power was exercised by a single authority. Territory is important because it provides the container over which sovereignty can be exercised, but sovereignty as authority and power can also be exercised beyond a state's territory. Whether and how it can be exercised beyond one's territory is a matter for international law, as I have already said. Nowadays, it is widely accepted that the principle of sovereignty applies to cyberspace, but this was not always the received view. I have already mentioned Barlow's declaration of the independence of cyberspace, according to which cyberspace is not subject to sovereignty. In academic writings, Johnson and Post argue that cyberspace cannot be subject to sovereignty. It is borderless and aterritorial, and there is no overlap between the physical space represented by states and the law space where legal power can be exercised. For them, cyberspace should develop its own regulatory system on self re- based on self-regulation outside the traditional sovereign-based uh, uh, international law. The response came from Jack Goldsmith in his article Against Cyber Anarchy. For him, there is nothing unexceptional regarding cyberspace. Cyberspace consists of persons and objects, and for this reason, states can exercise a sovereign power over them. I share the same view. A state can exert its sovereignty over the physical and social layers of cyberspace. In legal terms, it can exercise its jurisdiction over cyber infrastructure located within its territory or outside its territory. If it exercises control over cyber infrastructure, a state can also exercise jurisdiction over its nationals or non nationals within its territory, but even outside its territory on the basis of active or passive nationality. Furthermore, a state can exercise jurisdiction over information circulated through cyberspace at the point of entry or exit. Moreover, A state can exercise jurisdiction over the effects of cyber operations if they were felt within its territory according to the effects doctrine. In short, a state can assert its sovereignty over the physical layer of cyberspace located on its territory or outside its territory if it exercises control and over information passing through its infrastructure. It can also assert its sovereignty over the social layer of cyberspace that is over all persons on its territory as well as over its nationals outside its territory. A state can finally assert its sovereignty over the effects of cyber activities that are fed within the state. The most radical assertion of sovereignty to cyberspace is when states partition cyberspace by creating sovereign cyber zones. This can happen by disconnecting national networks from the World Wide Web and creating a national Internet or by controlling entry points through filtering. That having been said, uh, the view has been put forward according to which sovereignty is a principle and not a rule, or that there is no clear state practice and opinion juries supporting the view that sovereignty is a rule that applies to cyberspace. For example, the. UK's view as repeated recently by the Attorney General is that, I quote, the general concept of sovereignty by itself does not provide a sufficient or clear basis for extrapolating a specific rule of sovereignty or additional prohibition for cyber conduct going beyond that of non-intervention. The UK's position is that only the rule on non-intervention is applicable to cyberspace and uh, which can set the legal limits as to when interference with sovereign rights constitutes violations of international law. I respectfully disagree with this view. The principle of sovereignty is a legal principle and produces legal consequences. This view has been affirmed by the International Court of Justice, which established violations of sovereignty in the Nicaragua case in 1986 and the more recent Costa Rica versus Nicaragua case. Being a principle, its content is broad and subject to interpretation, but this is a common trait of all principles. Also, as a principle, Sovereignty may give rise to more specific rules, such as the rules on the non-use of force or the rule on non-intervention, but that does not mean that sovereignty becomes extinct. The rule on non-intervention prohibits coercive interference in matters falling within a state's sovereign prerogatives. The non-intervention rule does not thus cover all matters falling within sovereignty and does not cover all methods by which sovereignty can be violated. It only covers coercive methods. As Japan stated, there exist certain forms of violation of sovereignty which may not necessarily constitute unlawful intervention prohibited under the principle of non-intervention. It can be said that, with the exception of the United Kingdom, which is explicit in its rejection of the legal status of sovereignty in cyberspace, and with the exception of certain other states which are on the fence, most states that have stated their position recognize the legal status of sovereignty in uh, in addition to the non interventional rule. This also means that there is no need to establish separate practice and opinion juris in order to establish the legal status of sovereignty in cyberspace. For example, Finland declared that it sees sovereignty as a primary rule of international law, a breach of which amounts to an internationally wrongful act and triggers state responsibility. For Brazil, sovereignty is applicable as a standalone rule. Violations of state sovereignty by another state, including by means of ICTs, constitute an internationally wrongful act and entail the international responsibility of the state in violation. Also, there is neither broad state practice nor sufficient opinion juris to generate new custom international law allowing for the violation of state sovereignty, including by means of ICTs. According to Germany, cyber operations attributable to states which violate the sovereignty of another state are contrary to international law. For Guyana, a state can engage on certain cyber operations but it must not conduct cyber operations that violate the sovereignty of another state. If a state's sovereignty is violated, it amounts to a breach of international law. This protection is not limited to activities amounting to an unjustified use of force, to an armed attack, or to a prohibited intervention. Its sovereignty represents the aggregation of rights and duties a state holds as a state, then any non-consensual or any non-legally justified interference with these rights will constitute violation of that state's sovereignty. For example, an unauthorized intrusion into a state's networks will constitute violation of its sovereignty. As Brazil stated, interceptions of telecommunications will be violations of state sovereignty and similarly cyber operations against information systems located in another state's territory or causing extraterritorial effects. The view has been put forward that in order for sovereignty to be violated, some harm needs to be produced in the sense of damage, destruction, death or injury. In my opinion, this is not necessary because the harm is legal it is the harm produced by the violation of a right protected by sovereignty. For example, in the case of an unauthorized intrusion into a state's network, which may produce no physical harm, the harm consists in the violation of the right to exclusive jurisdiction over a network protected by sovereignty. It is interesting in this regard to recall France's view that any cyber attack against French digital systems or any effects produced on French territory by digital means constitutes a breach of sovereignty. It has also been claimed that there should be a de minimis threshold of harm for a violation of the principle of sovereignty to be established. This is in order to avoid facile claims of violation. For example, according to Germany, negligible physical effects and functional impairments below a certain impact threshold cannot, taken by themselves, be deemed to constitute a violation of territorial sovereignty. In response, I want to say what I said also before, that no harm is required, and also international law does not define violations of its rules on the basis of their intensity. That having been said, States may or may not claim that a violation of their sovereignty has been committed for their own reasons. In order to summarize, I argued that sovereignty is the legal principle that applies to cyberspace and produces legal consequences. Consequently, any unauthorized interference with a state's sovereign rights by using cyber means violates its sovereignty. The question I will examine now is whether cyberspace itself can become a sovereign entity. The fact that cyberspace is subject to sovereignty means that it cannot be sovereign itself, but I want to discuss the question of whether its people, the netizens, who use cyberspace, can declare the sovereignty of cyberspace by exercising the right to self-determination. In fact, that was what the Declaration of the Independence of Cyberspace called for. According to international law, all peoples have the right to self-determination. By virtue of that right, they freely determine their political status and freely pursue their economic, social and cultural development. The first question that can be asked is whether netizens constitute a people for self-determination purposes. In my opinion, netizens differ in many respects. They differ linguistically, ethnically or religiously in order to form a people. Moreover, netizens have not moved their allegiance from their own state to cyberspace. Furthermore, self-determination leading to the creation of new sovereign entity was exercised in the context of colonialism something that does not apply to subspace more critically though subspace does not have its own people and infrastructure to sustain its sovereignty but everything is mediated by states this means that sovereign subspace cannot become a sovereign entity through a process of self-determination by its users the next question i want to consider is whether big tech companies are in fact sovereign. It was claimed that they are sovereign because they have people, their users, and they have territory in the form of networks and data. However, this does not make them sovereign because they are subject to state power. Moreover, people have not transferred their allegiance from states to tech companies. I will now discuss a different legal representation of cyberspace as a global commons. Global commons describe resource domains that lie outside states' exclusive sovereignty and are subject to collective use. In international law, global commons are the high seas, outer space, the atmosphere, Antarctica. The global commons concept in international law concerns the type of regulation over such spaces. In general, States agree to refrain from claiming ownership over the area designed as global commons and agree to exercise their authority concurrently with other states. This fact does not mean that global commons and sovereignty are incompatible. Instead, global commons are the creation of sovereignty. It is a sovereign decision not to to possess such resource areas and a sovereign decision to regulate them collectively. Although there has been some proposals to designate cyberspace as global commons, there are some important differences between cyberspace and areas designated as global commons. Global commons refer to natural resources that have a physical dimension, but cyberspace is a technical man-made resource. Second, global commons have physical and geographical boundaries, but this is not the case in cyberspace. Third, global commons are created in order to avoid depletion of natural resources, whereas in cyberspace resources can increase or decrease technically. Fourth, the physical objects that make up cyberspace, such as computers, are owned, for example by private companies, whereas in global commons they are not owned. In order to create a global commons, they should be deowned. More critically, though, states have not claimed that cyberspace is a global commons, but as was seen, have placed cyberspace under their sovereignty. In order to conclude, in this lecture I explained the nature of cyberspace. I said that it consists of a physical, logical, and social layer. I also said that cyberspace cannot be sovereign or a global commons but that the principle of sovereignty applies to subspace and its violation engenders legal consequences. Although the content and scope of the principle of sovereignty as it applies to subspace may require further elaboration, it is sovereignty as a power to create, interpret, implement and enforce international law that will assist in such endeavour. Thank you.